Oh man, what a good day. Good day to be an Oregonian. Both teams got a victory, not Portland State. They're, they don't count exactly, but so fun. How many of you were really worried about the outcome of the game yesterday? Just you were afraid, fear and trepidation. I'm worried every game, so I just, I don't, I don't anticipate a win. So I'm excited when we win, but man, what a great Sunday. Great to be with you guys. Uh, Bethany and I and our kids were down in Palm Desert having vacation uh, last week. And yes, I do know it's hot down there. Thank you. A lot of people are like, did you know it's hot down there? I do. But anyways, uh, we had a great time. And last week was uh, uh, the five by five. And they did such an awesome job. How many of you were here for that last week? The five people? Yeah. Was that good? Was that good? Man, I, I got I to up my game this week, right? Otherwise, you're going to be like, where's that five by five again? But so excited to be with you guys today. I want to give you a real quick special announcement. Uh, how many of you know about the movie Translated? It's actually playing in the theaters right now. Raise your hand if you've actually seen that. Okay, well, we have a great honor today. So Jerry Thompson, the maker of that film is here. Jerry, are you here? Could you wave at us? There's Jerry right there. Yeah, so thank you, Jerry. Um, Jerry has a really good deal for us today. And so I'm, how many of you like a good deal? Like I'm excited about this. So he came up to me and said, hey, I, I'm doing a two for one. So if you wanted to buy a ticket and see that movie, it's about the Apostle Paul in the 21st century. It's making people laugh, cry, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm excited. I can't go today, but I need to get to the movie. And uh, anyways, Jerry's doing a two for one. So if you will connect with him in front of the ticket office after the service today, then you can actually get uh, one of the shows, the 150, 440, or 735 they still have left today. And uh, you can get two for one. So how many of you like 50% off? Double go, yeah. Some of you guys need to take your wife on a date. It's been a little while. It's been more than five years. You're losing. You're not winning. You need to ramp that up. Come on, take your wife on a date and don't get her the small popcorn, guys. Come on, get the medium, get some butter on it. So anyways, um, I, I really, it'd be great for us to support what Jerry's doing, wholesome, good entertainment. Uh, how many of you know we could get our, you know, a little bit of brain cleansing going on, watching some good stuff, maybe skip, you know, whatever else you were planning on going to see, but I'm excited about that. So good deal. Check it out. Meet him at the, at the ticket office right after service out in front of the movie theaters. Well, you guys, we're going to jump into our series. Uh, I'm so excited about this series, No Regrets. And uh, yes, we, we know that's um, spelled incorrectly. That's kind of the point. Somebody messaged us on Facebook and said, I think you misspelled your series title. And How many of you were like, I didn't get it, I'm going to be honest. Just, yeah. um, but <laughs> we're talking about wisdom, right? Uh, learning to regret-proof our life. How many of you relate to that video? Every man should have their hand up in the air, right? When you, when you are, you turn 13, you go through puberty, you become a man, right? You, ooh, you go through that whole thing. For me, it was like 19. But anyways, you go through that, you get a card from your dad or, or another, you know, man with chest hair, has to have chest hair, hands it to you, and it's your right to be stupid. I mean, that's what every guy gets it, right? The one with them cutting the, the, the limb, amazing. Yeah, it's good stuff. I love that. You can, you can spend a, an entire afternoon watching Fail Army of guys doing stupid stuff. Come on. And married women are like, I don't need to watch it. I just watch it in person. You just watch it. <laughs> watch it live. I, I was walking outside the other day. My son, Jack, he's only, uh, he's four years old, but he's working on his man card. And uh, he was up on a ladder, like out in the middle of our driveway to nothing. I mean, he was just up at the top, like, hey, I'm up here. <laughs> okay. You're getting your card early, son. Yeah, he's working on it. But we're talking about learning to regret-proof our life, connecting with wisdom, learning what God uh, 
wants us to, how to use knowledge and intelligence correctly, learning how to live our lives. So I'm excited about that. But I have a question for you today as we jump into this message on wisdom. Today's message is called, what if you could have anything you want? What if you could have anything you want? What if you could get anything you want? Uh, what would you ask for? What would you get? Now, I don't know about you, but I play this game sometimes, which is the like, what if I won the lottery game, right? I don't play the lottery and you shouldn't play for investment purposes in case anyone was interested in that. But, but I play this game. I'll be in the car, I'm driving along with my wife and we're driving along and I'll be like, hey, I wonder what I would do if I won $20 million. Anybody ever do this? Like, what, what would I do? And if, if I, like if Ed McMahon showed up at my front door with that enormous check, right? It would stink if you were like the $5,000 winner. I mean, that'd be fun, but the check is so big. The check costs like 4,000. You know what I'm talking about? Publishers Clearinghouse? Anybody? Okay. Young people are like, what? Ed McMahon, who's that? When Ed McMahon shows, let me just tell you guys, if you don't know who Ed McMahon is, if an old dude with a huge check shows up at your house, it's a good thing. Unless it's not Ed McMahon and it's somebody trying to kill you or something. But anyways, Ed McMahon shows up with a massive check. And that's a good day. Like, what am I going to get out of this? And so I play this game we'll be in the car driving along. If I had $20 million and I always am like sports cars, right? Duck season tickets. Uh, I mean, what else do you want? Come on, shout it out. Like you get 20 million bucks. What do you buy? Okay. What else? What new car? But you don't buy like a Taurus, right? Yeah. You, the oversaved people are going to shout out like, feed the orphans. Come on, be honest. So like, right? I'm always like, yeah, fast cars, I get a new house, all kinds of stuff. And that we play this game and it's actually kind of fun, right? But I want to encourage you, don't play with anybody who's more spiritual than you. Because I'll always be in the car and I'll be like, hey, babe, what would you do if you had a million bucks? And she's like, yeah, I would give it all to charity. I, I, would, I would use it to serve the poor in foreign countries. And I'm like, me too. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> But actually, when you take, think about the question, what would you do if you had this windfall? Like, if you could get anything you wanted, it's actually a really serious question because beyond the game, it actually kind of touches into something deeper on the inside is what are you really after in your life? Like, what's that thing that if you got it, like when you think about having no limitations financially or whatever, maybe it's not just money, maybe it would be like the perfect relationship and that's really what you're after. Or maybe it's long life, like you're just obsessed with, wanting to preserve your, your life and, and live forever or live as long as you possibly can or whatever that may be for all of us. But what does that question really say about what's going on on the inside of us? So it actually gets kind of serious. Now, what's fascinating about this is there's actually a story in the Bible, uh, a true story about a guy who God came to him and literally said, I'll give you anything that you want. I mean, I want you to think about how mind boggling, boggling I can't even say the word, <laughs> boggling, there we go. How crazy is that to have God himself come to you and say, what would you like? I'm gonna give it to you. And what would you say in that moment? What would, what would come out of you? What would come out of your heart? What would come out of your head? What would come out of your mouth? What would you say in response to that? Well, again, this actually happened to somebody and the story takes place in 1 Kings chapter three. We're gonna start in verse four. This is a, a guy named Solomon. Maybe you've heard a little bit about Solomon, but just to give you some background on this, Solomon was the son of David and David was the king of Israel. So Solomon was next in line to be king. David was the guy that killed Goliath with the five smooth stones, right? The, you heard that story, David and Goliath. And this is his son, Solomon. And David had prepared all this 
these offerings and all these, this wealth and riches, and they had set aside all this, this money and things to, to create the temple uh, where God's presence would dwell. And Solomon is taking over this kingdom and they're, they're ha- they've had success militarily. Like their borders are established with their enemies and they're like growing and everything's good. And Solomon is stepping in to be the king of this nation. And we pick up his story in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. It says, the most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. Somebody say, amen for barbecue. Come on. I was at a wedding last night and Frank Heflin was bringing the fire. Come on, smoked, pulled pork. People are getting hungry. You know, it's second service when I just start using all my illustrations have to do with cooked meats. Actually, I talk about cooked meat at eight in the morning. So, I mean, it just doesn't matter when it is, but he sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. And it says in verse five, that night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. That's amazing. If the God of heaven and earth, the God that created the universe, that made the stars and the seas and made everything, if he shows up and he says, what do you want? Like you better be on your A game to answer the question. Come on. Because my reaction might be like to instantly shout out season tickets and then, oh, how many of you know when you rub the lamp and the genie comes out, what do you first try to ask for? More wishes, unlimited wishes. Who's at a hundred? You're setting your sights way too low. You need to upgrade your vision here. You start with, I wish for unlimited wishes. And then they say, you can't do that, right? Because there's rules in fantasy apparently. But anyways, in this fictional universe, there's rules. So the genie says, no, you can't do that. But how many of you think God is maybe an upgrade from Robin Williams in Aladdin, right? So he, he shows up, he says, Solomon, look, I, what do you want? I, I wanna give you whatever you ask for. And Solomon replied in verse six, he said, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you've continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David, but I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous, they cannot be counted. He said, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong for who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours. And this is kind of amazing because Solomon, when he's asked this question, if you could have whatever you wanted, God himself is in your face and he's like, hey, I wanna give you whatever you want. Solomon asks for an understanding heart. He asks for wisdom. And that's kind of amazing to me because that would probably literally not be on my radar to ask for if I could get anything I wanted. How many of you would say, yeah, like, That's really not the thing that I would think I would ask God for right now. I mean, if you just take stock of your heart, your emotions, right where you are right now, and you searched in there and you said, what is that thing that I'm actually chasing after? Because you might say, well, it's just money or it's this, but what is it really that's behind that request? I mean, if it's the promotion at work or the perfect relationship or your kids to to, to have a health, be healthy or your spouse to be healed of a disease or whatever that may be. Like, what is it that you would ask God for? Solomon asks for wisdom and it goes on. It says in verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. How many of you know when, when this teacher asks you a question, it's good to get an A plus on the test. When God himself says, I have a question for you 
And then you answer the question and then he says, man, that's a good answer. You're in good, you're in good business, right? Being a married man, I ask my wife sometimes, she asks me a question and I answer and I wait to see, is that I answered it correctly? <laughs> it's gonna be a good day, right? <laughs> my daughter, Evie, you know, she's figuring out life right now. And so she does that deer in the headlights thing. I'll be like, Evie, is it right for you to, you know, slap your sister right in the face? No, that's correct. <laughs> well, please. It takes a while, but she gets to the right answer eventually. But if God asks you a question, he says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies. Come on, the Huskies, praise the Lord. Verse 12, I will give you, sorry. <laughs> I will give you, not really, sorry. I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Somebody say extra. Come on, when God decides to go ahead and pile it on, it's a good day right there right? It's like when you go to a, a restaurant or whatever, and they're like, oh, did you want some more fries? You're at one of those unlimited fry places. You're like, yes, right? The answer is always yes. When do they stop bringing fries? When they have to wheel me out, right? <laughs> Extra, like this is incredible because Solomon gets the answer correct. He, he asks for wisdom. And I'm going to talk about this in a second because it's kind of crazy. Like for me, I wouldn't ask for that, but I want to talk about why he did and why it was really the wisest thing to ask for. And then what happens is God says, you know what, because you asked for that and not for this other stuff, I'm actually going to add this stuff to you. Now, this is interesting to me because typically right now, when we say, what is the thing that you want right now? We don't say wisdom. We would say some kind of a, of a result. Come on, we, more money or, or a better relationship or, or health or something. And that's probably where Solomon's mind went, but he didn't answer that way. He said, God, I want wisdom. Now, what does that tell us? What can we learn from this today? Well, two things we can learn just kind of on the surface if you, if you think about it. Number one, the fact that Solomon asks for wisdom when he could have anything else should tell us that wisdom is incredibly valuable. It's incredibly valuable. Now, I don't know if you study economic theory. I don't, but I, but I had to prepare for this message. So when you think about economic theory, one of the things that creates value is perception of scarcity. When something is not just all around, right? So if somebody's like, hey, I'm selling uh, rain water in Eugene, Oregon, we're kind of like, uh, you know, well, I'm canoeing here to, to get, you know, this isn't, I don't need it, right? Come on, we got enough of that. Uh, th that's not a valuable commodity because it's not, it's not scarce. So when we talk about something like gold or diamonds, they're scarce, right? That we call them precious, they're precious metals. And so wisdom is something that Solomon recognizes is not necessarily just like growing on trees. Come on, it, it, why he asks for this, it has to tell us that he recognizes that this thing that he's asking for is immensely valuable, more valuable than any other thing that he could ask for because he could get anything. And this is amazing. And the second thing it teaches us is this, that Solomon already had enough wisdom to perceive that wisdom was valuable. Have you ever been somewhere and somebody's trying to sell you something and you just don't know how much it's worth? And it's such an uncomfortable feeling, right? You ever gotten a really good deal and then you go talk to your friend and you realize that you totally got rooked? 
ever happen? And so it actually takes wisdom to recognize the worth and the value of wisdom. So Solomon obviously at some point in his life has built enough wisdom. There's, God has given him enough wisdom that when he gets in this moment, he recognizes if I can get anything, the thing that I want is wisdom. He sees its value. And here's why. Here's why wisdom is so valuable. Because wisdom is a key. Wisdom is the key that unlocks everything else in life. Right? You ever heard the expression, if you, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, you what? Feed him for a lifetime. How many of you, you know, love to get a nice crisp apple, right? But how many of you would love a nice apple tree that produces nice crisp, crisp ap- crip apples? I don't know what those are. Don't eat them. They're not good. They're not good for you. Crisp apples. This is hard work, guys. It's hard. These are a lot of syllables coming out of my mouth right now. Crisp <laughs> apples. If you had the apple tree, you can continue to get them. I mean, it's like the goose that lays golden eggs, right? Don't kill the goose. But yet in life, what do we do a lot of times? We're like, I just want, I just want a goose. I want to eat goose today. But wisdom is the thing that produces results. Wisdom is a key that unlocks success. It unlocks blessing. It unlocks so much in our life. And Solomon recognizes this. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Solomon had enough wisdom to recognize that that wisdom would unlock other things, that would be aiming at something that would produce results in the rest of his life. Now, I know we live in a consumer culture, so we don't tend to think about long-term investment. How many of you really spent a good chunk of your morning thinking about your retirement and long-term investment? No, you thought about Starbucks, Wade's like, yeah, I did. You know, but you're thinking about how can I fulfill and satisfy my needs for today? Come on, that's where we live, right? Like in the here and the now. But wisdom is a different mindset. Wisdom is like, how, what, what should I be aiming my life at that's gonna have a cumulative effect on everything else? Now, Solomon, he got this, at least to some level, before he even asks God for wisdom. In Proverbs 23, 23, which was actually written by Solomon, he says this, one of my favorite scriptures. He says, buy the truth and do not sell it. Let me just tell you right now in culture, everybody has an offer for the truth of God in your life, for your integrity, for your character, for the word of God. There's an offer that you can sell out, sell out. You leave your wife and go to this new relationship, you'll feel better. Sell out, cheat on your taxes and you'll, get, you'll have more money. There's an offer for truth always coming after you to get the truth that God's given you, but do not sell it, Solomon says. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. This is a verse about the economic worth and value in life of wisdom. Come on, somebody. Solomon saying, listen, there's something that when you get it, don't ever give it up. When you acquire it, don't ever sell it. When you get, it in, when you get any of it, you don't, don't let it go because it's the most valuable thing. Well, what is wisdom? One of my favorite definitions of wisdom is this. Wisdom is the righteous application of knowledge. The righteous application of knowledge. What is righteousness? Righteousness means being right with God or operating in a correct way. So you could even use it like this. When you read the manual of your, let's say you buy a car and you read the manual and then you operate the machine as it's intended to be operated, you, it's, that's a righteous act. You're right with the plan. Does that make sense? So righteousness in life doesn't just mean you're a goody-goody two-shoes. Righteousness means you are aligned with God. You get what God is saying. You get where he's going. You get what he's about. You understand why he wants you to behave a certain way 
and you're right with him, you're aligned. And so wisdom is the capacity to understand how God would want you to act or speak or think or do something. It's the righteous application of knowledge, whatever, you, whatever situation you're in, to know what would God do in this situation. Any of you churchified enough to remember back in the early 2000s, the WWJD bracelet? Legit, yeah. And it's actually a really cool thing. Because if we asked ourselves, what would Jesus do? You probably make better decisions. Unfortunately, most people don't have a clue what Jesus would do because they don't have any wisdom. So they just do whatever they want and say WWJD. Anyways, that's a rant. Let's move on. So what would Jesus do though? Like wisdom is understanding. Actually, Jesus would do this in this situation. Jesus wouldn't react in anger. Jesus wouldn't go this direction. That's what wisdom is. And it goes far beyond intelligence. It's about intelligence in alignment with God's heart and God's purposes. You ever heard the phrase, knowledge is power? Heard that before? And it's true, isn't it? Knowledge is power, but power and knowledge together are both morally neutral. That you can get a lot of knowledge about something doesn't necessarily make it right, doesn't necessarily make it wrong. Same with power. So the knowledge that's used to create fire or a sword, which are awesome things right there. If you're a knight in the middle ages or a wizard or something, but I mean, even now swords are cool, right? Anybody with me here? Okay. So the knowledge to create fire. I mean, aren't you glad we have this? Fourth of July, people, come on. It's fun. Are you guys Americans? I mean, what is happening right now? I literally am talking about swords and fireworks and I can't even get an amen. You guys are too, you're too dialed into the spirit today. That's what it is. I'm I'm in the flesh and you guys are just, you're, on, you're in the spirit. I mean, the, the knowledge to create the atomic bomb, what amazing scientific understanding. An incredible level of detailed, specific knowledge goes into the understanding of how to harness the, one of the greatest forces in the universe. But that knowledge in and of itself is not good or bad because that knowledge could be used to help or that knowledge can be used to harm. That knowledge could be used to make a good decision. That knowledge can be used to make a bad decision. So hopefully you're beginning to see why wisdom is important because wisdom comes in and says, hey, you've got some power. You've got some knowledge. You've got some intelligence. You have some influence that you can use and you can throw your weight one direction or another. You can go left or you can go right. But what would God do? What's in alignment with your creator? What kind of action, what kind of speaking, what kind of thinking would, would, would cause you to be in alignment with what God wants to see take place and how you're really made to live. That's why wisdom is so valuable as a commodity because it becomes the capacity to live life as it was intended to be lived, to connect with what you were made to do, to come into resonance with who you are, like who God made you to be, which really is what we're all searching for at the end of whatever request we have, hiding behind that is that fulfillment and satisfaction of becoming who we are, becoming who God made us to be, in peace and harmony with our creator and with our fellow man and with the universe around us. And I'm going, I know it's kind of highfalutin and all that, philosophic, but let's move forward. Wisdom is the tree that all the fruit grows on. And so it would have been incredibly unwise for Solomon to ask for anything else. Because if wisdom is what I'm talking about, it's the capacity to know what to do when you don't know what to do. Wisdom is the capacity to say, this is what God, God's heart and purposes are. So if I make this decision in alignment with him, even if the uh, external data that comes back to me doesn't necessarily immediately validate it. I know that I'm going the right direction. How does somebody make a decision to lay their life down? 
Maybe take a worse job or move to a city they don't wanna live in to start a church or do something or go to a foreign country to preach the gospel. How does somebody make that kind of decision and know they're doing the right thing? Because if you're only thinking in the mind of man, you're going, I make less money. I'm hotter than I was before. I don't, I don't like this place that I'm in. How do you make that decision? How do you know it's right? Because you know that the wisdom of God is that he's calling you to lay your life down forward into his kingdom. Does that make sense? Wisdom is this capacity to live life as it was intended to live. So let me ask you this question again today. If you could ask for anything, what would you ask for? Wisdom. Somebody's like, Ferrari. I'm just going to get through to everybody here, but season tickets. I'm just going to be honest. That's what I really want. Okay. (laughs) Wisdom. Wisdom itself is the wisest thing that could be asked for. So let's learn from the wisdom of Solomon because he obviously knew what to ask for when he's asked this question. Now, I want to give you something that might kind of blow your mind a little bit today, but did you know that God is actually asking you this question right now? So you're like, man, that's so cool. God came to Solomon and said, hey, what do you want? But did you know that every single day you wake up and you're still breathing and you have brain function, that God is actually asking you the same question? Did you know that life is an invitation from God for you to figure it out? Your existence, every single day that you wake up and you have consciousness, like I'm here, I'm overweight, dang it, you know? (laughs) How many of you look in the mirror and you're just, ah! You know, you're scared sometimes. Sometimes I look in the mirror, I'm like, where did I go? I'm underneath another person, you know? It's <laughs> Anyways, your life is an invitation. God is asking you, what do you want? Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you really want? And God is asking you this question today. So let's learn from the wisdom of Solomon. Let's find out. Why did he, why did he say wisdom? Why did he know that? How did he know this? So I want to give you today four secrets of wisdom. Four secrets. These are things that you can't figure out like on your own, like it just doesn't, it's not intuitive necessarily, but four things, four secrets that we see in this passage. Now, how many of you know if I walked away right now, you'd all hate my guts? So whenever it's like four secrets, how many of you I want to know, right? One of the ways you can make somebody want to be around you is whisper to someone else when they're watching. Just be like, what are you talking about over there? Right? It's a moth to the flame. Four secrets to wisdom. How many of you want to know the four secrets? Sounds like a Motown band. Four secrets. Okay. Number one, God found Solomon in a place of worship. If you go back in the beginning of the passage, Solomon's in a place called Gibeon. Now, it's interesting is he actually wasn't supposed to be in Gibeon. It wasn't actually an approved place of worship, but Solomon wasn't perfect, right? He, but he was worshiping God. He was, he was giving offerings to God. He, was, he had a heart for God. He wanted to be in the presence of God. God found Solomon in the place of worship. Now, when we talk about worship, worship, a lot of times we think, oh, it means like singing songs on a Sunday. That's an aspect of worship. But worship is really about your entire life open up to God in wonder and awe and love and adoration. I mean, the place of worship is a place where you get into the presence of God and you get real and you get raw and there's no artifice. There's no fakery. There's no mask. Come on. How many of you know you can be all by by yourself and still be wearing a mask? Because every single one of us is deeply flawed and has a bunch of problems. Now, if you think, well, I'm listening to you, pastor, because you've got it all figured (laughs) out. No. I'm a human being with my own flaws and I wear a mask sometimes. But listen, the place of worship is the place where you can come 
before God who deeply, deeply loves you. We sang about this today, the reckless love of God, the overwhelming love of God, the love that will chase you down. Come on, you can get before him in the place of worship and be real. And you can begin to let him work on you in his presence. You can begin to worship him and love him and adore him and know him. Come on, so many people think that God is an angry, abusive, absentee father, but he's not. We're just putting a projection of a broken human that maybe treated us in a wrong way on him. But he's, he was weeping when you're, maybe your earthly father was abusing you. God isn't like that. God isn't looking at you right now like what a disappointment you are. A lot of people don't come to church because they think that church is a place where you're gonna get judged and it should be the opposite of that. Because if anywhere else, we should all recognize that all of us need Jesus and all of us need this father to love us and make us right on the inside. Come on, somebody. And so Solomon is in the place of worship. He's in the presence of God. And I wanna ask you this question today. If you're looking for wisdom, do you have access? Do you have a place of worship? Have you made a space in your life to be in the presence of God without an agenda, without a, a, you know, a list of things that you're asking God to do for you? See, we've turned our relationship with God into transactions, haven't we? I go to church on Sunday, that means God has to bless me. I give in the offering, that means God has to bless me. I prayed today, I read my Bible this week, that means God has to bless me. And that's just not the gospel and it's not Christianity. In the same way that I don't treat my wife like, well, Bethany, hey, I said I love you today, so come on, what, what, what do you got for me? Like, it's not a transaction, it's a relationship. And when you think about this with God, why do we treat God worse than we treat human beings? Do you have a place of worship, a place where you come and say, God, I'm just here to be with you, just be with you and you to be with me. Do you know why we don't? Because we're terrified. Because let me just tell you what's scarier than the devil is God who's perfect and pure and holy and who can see right through your mask. When I get before God, it's, it's, it's horrible, honestly, sometimes because I can, I, all the shadows, but that light and that beauty and that holiness and that love, it purifies me. Come on, you gotta be in the presence of God the place of worship. Do you have a place of worship where you just get real before God? You get on your face by yourself and it's just you and him and there's no agenda and there's not a timer and there's not a plan. It's just you and God in the place of worship. Let me tell you right now, you probably would spend a lot less on therapy if you got at the feet of Jesus. See, we always wanna go talk to somebody about, well, this is my parents, this is me when I was a kid and this happened to me and I was abused and this happened and all that. And there's nothing wrong with it. But I'm just telling you right now, when you sit at the feet of Jesus, who knows you from the inside out, he knows every hair upon your head. He was there when those things took place and you were abused and hurt and rejected and forsaken. And he has your heart and your best interest. When you get in his presence, come on, there's healing that takes place. And where do you find wisdom? At the place of worship in the presence of God. When I was a young man, younger man than I am now, still young. But when I was a younger man, in my bedroom, I had one of those old school, totally awesome early 80s or late 70s stereo systems. Come on, you need a U-Haul truck to move it somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? It's like 50 pounds per thing. You can't, and like no, nothing does everything. It's like everything does one thing. Record player, CD player, tape deck, receiver. Come on. And there's like a million buttons that you have no idea what they mean. They're all in code. Just flip it till it comes on, right? Huge speakers. They're like bigger than a car, you know, massive with wood grill right? It's like more wood than goes into a house project has been one speaker. That's what I'm talking about. So I would, I had this in my bedroom and I would put on old school worship music, Delirious, Martin Smith, Delirious, anybody vibing with me right here? Song, thank you, people above 30. Come on. Yes. Yeah, so uh, listening to Delirious and 
listening to the song Obsession. God, what can I do with my obsession for the things I cannot see? Is there madness in my being? Is it wind that blows the trees in my heart? It burns for you. And I would listen to this song and listen to this music and I would be on my face on the floor. And all I was there to do was be with God. And I remember as a young man, I would pray, I would say, God, please take what's inside of me that's bad and broken and wrong. Take what's inside of me that doesn't look like you and carve it out and fill me with your presence. Because when I get around other people, I want to spill over your presence, your love. When people come around me, I want them to feel you, God, not me, not see me, but God, I want to be in your presence. And I would just sit, I would soak for hours and hours in the presence of God. And it was in those moments that God began to speak things into me about who I really was, who I was meant to be. Not the words that other people said to me, not the things that expectations and things that other people had for me, I grew up as a pastor's kid and you tell you about expectation and judgmental, man, people hate pastor's kids. I'm just telling you right now. And if you ever stepped out of line as a pastor's kid, like, oh my God, what's wrong with him? A lot, people, come on, I'm growing up here. But I remember in the presence of God, being in that place of worship that God would come in and put my identity, come on, speak to me. The presence of God, do you have a place? A place where you're digging the well of worship in your life. You go, man, what are you even talking about? I'm talking about the fact that we serve this invisible spirit of a God. It's mystical that you can come into his presence. He wants to meet with you. And if you slow down enough and put your antenna out and say, I'm just here to hear. I'm just here to hear your voice. I'm just here to meet with you. I'm just here to experience you. God, would you come? And God, I'm not hiding. God, I'm just here before you. What's gonna happen in that moment? The place of worship. And it's a secret of wisdom because in the place of worship, there's no artifice and fakeness and all this kind of stuff. It's you and God. You do business with God, have relationship with God, intimacy with God, and you become a friend of God. And God tells his friends the things that he knows about how to live. See, so many people think that God is something, you know, again, you put a quarter in and he pops stuff out. It's not how it works. You want to really know God, you got to know God and be known by God. The Bible talks about Abraham. It says he was a friend of God. What does that mean? How amazing would that be to be a friend of God? And God wants to be your friend. But do you slow down enough and spend some time in his presence? Come on, I could preach all day on this, but I'm going to move on. Place of worship, that can change somebody's life today. Number two, second secret of wisdom. Solomon had a recognition of God. Old school, you'd say it like this. He had the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, reverential awe. He was amazed by God, but he recognized God as God. In verse seven, it's kind of amazing. It says back in this passage in 1 Kings, he says, now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king. Let me tell you that the thing that's, that's a, a snare to us is when we say, I have made me king. When you get a little bit of success, when you get the promotion, when you get the relationship that you've been wanting. Do you know why sometimes God doesn't answer your prayer? Because it would kill your soul. Why does God not give you all that you want? Because he wants to give you what you need to give you real life. Sometimes I, I look back over years and I'm like, God, thank you for not answering that prayer. There's a bunch of women that I did not get with that I wanted to. All of them, I could not get a date. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. This chiseled slab of felt beauty that you see before you today has not always existed. So... <laughs> I was really in shape as a teenager, round. It's a shape. But I, 
so many prayers. God, if I could just get this job or this thing. And, and, and I look back and I go, man, that would have destroyed me. That wasn't, that wasn't right. And God knew. But recognizing God as God. God, you made me king. Did you know that when you get some success or whatever it looks like for you, whatever the, the thing that God is putting you into, a position or whatever, to be able to, to say, God, you're the one that's done this is so incredibly wise. It says in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where do you start with wisdom? You start by recognizing there is a God and you aren't him. Come on, somebody. Now that might seem kind of like, that's not profound, but it, it is actually because oftentimes, whether we say it out loud, we kind of think that we did this thing for ourselves. Like when something that we planned works out, we think, oh, I did this for myself, right? And I earned it. And the reality is we need to come to this place where we say, no, God, you made me king. And Solomon had this wisdom to say, God, you're the one. You put me in this position. Listen, if you put yourself in a position, then it's your responsibility to keep yourself in that position and to stress and to strive and to fight and to claw the rest of your life. But if God puts you in a position, you don't got to worry. Do you know when I come in on Sunday mornings and I know all my own flaws, you don't know them, but I know them. My wife knows them, right? I mean, she doesn't even know all my flaws, but there's a lot, you know, flaws, failures, insecurities. People might look at a pastor and think, well, you've got it all together. Could not be further from the truth. But you know why I don't walk in here with insecurity? Because I didn't, I didn't take a position. I didn't put myself, I didn't anoint myself. I didn't put a crown on my head. I didn't do that. If God calls you, you don't have to walk with insecurity. You just walk in the confidence and the, hum the humility and the grace of God in your position. Come on. My wife and I, I'm not, I'm not worried about Bethany. Oh, she's, she's looking at all these other people. She's, I didn't force her to marry me. So if she's still in, that's awesome, right? She opted into this. I don't know why, but she did. <laughs> Recognizing God as God, you've made me king. I'm gonna move forward because we got food to eat and a world to change. Come on. Number three, humility. It's a secret of wisdom, humility. Isn't humility beautiful? When you encounter somebody who's humble, it's attractive, it's beautiful. It's winsome. It pulls you in. But we're, we're so good, aren't we, at recognizing arrogance in other people. Oh, that person's there. That's stuck up. Do you know usually when you're the best, when you're the most tuned in to picking up other people's arrogance? When you're arrogant. When you're all caught up in pride about how good you are and how humble you are. The most humble people in the whole world don't know it. And a lot of humble people look a lot different than what we think humility is because we think humility is like people who are like, oh, I'm nothing, I'm worthless. Some of those people are the most prideful. Insecurity is one of the most ugly forms of pride because insecurity says, I need validation from someone else, but it's always about me. Man, I'm just preaching a lot of different messages today, but a lot of meat on these bones. But Humility might look a lot like confidence, but humility is losing sight of yourself, catching sight of God and who he's called you to be. You can be confident. You can have a position of authority. You can have success. You can have wealth. You can have the relationships that you want. You can have a good family and you can be very humble before God and you can have none of that and be very prideful. So don't, don't, don't think that we, that we recognize always who's humble and who's not. But humility, when you really walk in, in, in a position of humility, when you really operate in a spirit of humility, you invite the favor and the grace of God. And I love Solomon here in verse seven. He says, I'm like a little child. I'm like a little child? He's a man. He's a full-grown man. He has 
more wealth than anybody. He's a king. He's becoming the king of the greatest nation at the time. They, they, Solomon, his kingdom was so wealthy that they literally said that silver became like nothing. It was just like silver, what's that? I mean, he had pounds and thousands of pounds of gold. He was sending ships to go get monkeys. I mean, if you have a ship that you can send to get monkeys because you want to, like you've arrived, you know what I mean? I was thinking today, I would like some monkeys. I don't know, whatever. I guess send the ships. I mean, just go. Right? Like, I mean, you, and yet he says to God, I'm like a little child. I'm like a kid. I don't know how to lead these people. God, I don't know what I'm doing. He had humility to recognize, man, I, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. Come on. In James chapter four, verse six, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, pride and humility are like a magnet and they either repel or attract the presence and the favor of God. You know, a magnet, when you have it inverted, you know, the, the two sides of that magnet, it doesn't just not stick together, it repels. And you might be wondering like, why do I feel like God is opposing me? Well, if you're not walking in humility, that's why. Because pride was the root sin in the heart of Satan that said, I will ascend to the throne of God, I will become like God. Pride, when it says, I don't need God, I can put myself on the throne, all this kind of stuff, it repels God. But humility, it says God gives grace. It pulls God in. You want to be close to God, be humble. Have humility. I don't have time to go into this 100%, but you got to know that you don't know stuff. What I don't know far surpasses what I do know. And let me just give you a quick little tidbit, life lesson. My dad taught me this. He said, Jake, I remember going to music lesson one time. I was walking in. I had a cool drum teacher. He was a super cool guy. My dad said, Jake, remember something. You know what you know but you don't know what he knows. Okay. And so my parents taught us, when you go to a teacher, you shut your mouth. You're not there to tell them what you know. You're there to learn something. How many of you know, I'm an expert on my own opinion. Anybody else? I know what I know, but I don't know what you know and you don't know what I know. There might be some overlap, especially if it's like Ducks football or something, but you know. <laughs> but we can access the treasure that's within everybody and the treasure that God has for us with humility, but pride Stops that. Humility is a secret of wisdom. Number four, Solomon had a heart for others. You can ask for anything you want. And even when I've been talking about wisdom, I've been making it personal. Like what, what does wisdom do for you? But I want you to think about what he says. He says, God, give me an understanding heart to govern your people well. What Solomon asks for is not wisdom to be the most awesome king with the coolest Nike sandals and the Ferrari chariot that he could be. He wasn't asking for wisdom so that he could just do everything well and look good in front of the people. He asked for wisdom for other people, that he could make a difference, that he could be a leader that put people first. And in this, he reflects the heart of Jesus because Jesus said when he came on this planet, literally the king above all kings, the name above all names at which every knee will bow, when Jesus showed up on planet earth, he said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And I came to give my life as a ransom for many. That wisdom says when you get knowledge and power and glory and success, that you don't get it for you, you get it to serve. And let me just tell you what happens though. Look at this amazing thing. Solomon says, okay, not for me, not wisdom just for me, not for my family, not for my, just my life, but God, wisdom, to serve this nation well, these people, God, that I wanna serve as king. You put me in this position, but God, I, I don't have what it takes. I wanna serve them well. It's an other-centric mindset. It's a heart for others. And what does God do? God says, because 
You asked for that. Bonus number one, bonus number two, bonus number three. God piles it on. He says, Solomon, listen, you're going to have wealth. You're going to have fame. You're going to have riches. But he says, you got to keep in alignment with me. You got to keep in alignment. You got to keep following me and I'll give you long life. Come on, wisdom will open up every door for you. Wisdom will open up every door, but you got to find it in these places, in the place of worship, recognizing God, humility, and a heart for others. When you lose sight of that, you miss it. Solomon had a heart for others. Yet that's where he got this wisdom to ask for wisdom. And God gave him his, his, his request. Found in the place of worship, recognizing God as God, found in humility, expressed in a heart for others. These four secrets, they create and cultivate an atmosphere in our lives of wisdom. How many of you are like, yeah, I want some of that. Come on, God, I want it. 